1: Welcome everybody to another episode of Tennis Channel Insight In on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Mitch Michaels from the Santa Monica Studios ready to bring you another great episode talking tennis with a couple of A-list guests. It's Jan Michael Gamble to recap the Labor Cup, Roger Federer's emotional retirement, and the first win in the series by Team World. Team World gets it done behind Felix, OJ Eliasim, and Francis Tiafo. We break down Dominic Team's comeback, Medvedev's struggles, storylines in the women's game, the Davis Cup controversy, a lot of talk with Jan Michael Gamble, and then Jordan Sanford, former Tennis Channel colleague, she was a writer for the Tennis.com website and the Baseline Series, she's doing a ton of tremendous stuff, working with the USTA, working for Variety, writing pieces, and working on their content team, and the technical director for All-American Homecoming on the CW network, talk to Jordan Sanford a little bit about her tennis journey from Baylor Hall of Fame to the tennis media, Big fun chat with her. You're not going to want to miss that. It's Jam Michael Gamble and Jordan Sanford on this week's Tennis Channel Inside. In. here we go. All right. Now on Tennis Channel Inside In, we're uh, almost into October. Jam Michael Gamble here to uh, break down really the final push of the tennis season. I know that uh, there's some fatigue in the air. Not in this room, though. We're ready to just keep pushing forward.
2: <laughs> Absolutely none here. None whatsoever. We've been calling a lot of tennis. And there's been a lot of great tennis still to be played at the in, in the fall. There's opportunities for players to make some moves. You're right. There's going to be some players who will be fatigued mentally. Uh, some injuries can happen at the end of the year. When do you take the time off? Some players will elect to take some time off. There's still some big tournaments yet to be played.
1: Yeah, and I think we, we can kind of actually start here. It's um, fascinating to me. I know there's that argument, and I know there's validity to the fact that the season can be long. Some players are just burned out, and they've been putting so much into it. But there are a lot of players that love this time of year and that need this time of year. I mean, you just finished calling the Dominic team Marin Chilich match, and that was an example of somebody in team. And I guess in Chilich too a little bit, but they still want to find their form. There's a lot of tennis left in their careers, and they want to use this time to really not just set themselves up for 2023, but really find you know what their best level is already.
2: Well, absolutely. I mean, Chilich is playing some very high level tennis, played well at the US Open, lost, of course, to the eventual winner and Carlos Alcaraz. Not a bad loss there for him, and that took five sets for or for Carlito to get through that one. So, you know, Chilich is high level, back in the top 20. It, could he be back in the top 10? I think it's a possibility for him. His level is there. Um, for Dominic Team, a player that I certainly love watching, and, and you know, it's been tough with. And being sidelined, I had injuries myself that sidelined my career permanently at the mm-hmm. at the end. You know, I don't wish that on anybody else. And to see team back out there playing at what I think is very close to his level that, that we've seen from from team in the past. The forehands is just a little bit off right now. He's missing too many forehands in some of these matches against some tougher players who can sustain mm-hmm. the rallies. chillich is one of them. Yeah. Uh, the rest of the game looks great from teams. So for, for him, does he need more matches? Sure, he's going to play as much as he possibly can and stay as long as he can keep those injuries at bay.
1: Yeah, he's always been a really fit guy. You've never really questioned that. Um, what do you think about the scheduling, how he's kind of done it? He's slowly ramping up. It seems like he's... He's looking out for himself, but he's also playing the right events. Did the challenger is playing as much tennis as he can without kind of overdoing it.
2: Yeah, he made that challenger final, lost to Umba in the final there. So that was that. I don't think was a particularly good match, but that was a lot of matches played. So that's mm-hmm. what he. That's what he's looking for is g- get out on the court, play matches against these these tough competitors. Play a match, a good match. I thought against Chilich, there was smiles on the face of of team after that mm-hmm. match was over. I think he was happy with his performance, obviously didn't want to lose the match, but Chilich came up with the goods. So, you know, keep playing the matches, check in on the body if it feels good. I think he plays as many events as he possibly can, try to boost yeah. the ranking a little bit. Teams in a in a, in a a place that's a little bit different from other players who might have injuries to the fact that he's going to get some wild cards yeah. if he wants them. Uh, I don't know how many protective ranking he has left is probably a couple, so he can use that. Um, so he'll be in events. He'll have opportunities to play main draws. Um, you pick and choose those the right yep. way, and pretty happy with with the way he's playing. Yeah, up to I think around the
1: 160 mark in the live ranking, so he's progressing, he's climbing. Maybe not as fast as he would have wanted to, but getting there. And if he has to play some qualifying, you know, maybe that's a good form to get more match play as
2: well. I absolutely agree. Playing some extra matches, playing some qualifying. We saw Warinka do it. Uh, Recently, he qualified and started winning some matches. I think that Stan is playing some high-level tennis too. That's a
1: good one. Stan at 37 beat Medvedev is starting to kind of. I mean, I don't want to say final push with certainty, but this appears to be the final push. You never know. You never know how long you can play. Roger
2: just retired at 41, so that gives Stan, if you're going to judge it by that, a few more good years. And you know, he's had the problems with his his knee and his and his foot. I think ankle, so that, you know those those hopefully are in the mm-hmm. past. I liked the way that I saw Stan playing. Mm-hmm. Um, and he went and played the qualities and had to do it and came up with some good wins. So, you know, you just need the matches. You need the confidence.
1: You certainly do. Uh, as we look in the rearview mirror at uh, the weekend, Labor Cup had, you know, the center of the tennis world. Everybody was looking forward to it. Uh, on the one hand, which we'll get to in a second, Team World wins their first Labor Cup. But it was really about just saying goodbye to Roger Federer, and it was as tremendous of a goodbye that you could offer. I mean, nothing would have ever been enough for a guy like Roger Federer, but the last match he plays with Rafa, they lose a tight one to Sock and TFO, and uh, they get the tribute there. It was an emotional night, but just, I guess, starting with this, Jan Michael, the visual of him playing in his last match, what you saw from him on the court, the level looked pretty good ultimately just getting that one last chance for all of us to see him play. What was that like?
2: Well, that was neat. And he, and he went out there with the guy that he's competed so many times against with Rafa. That's what he mm-hmm. wanted to do. Roger did it on his own terms and in a, in a fantastic event that they've created. The Labor Cup is an exciting event. It uh, it, it, it was nice to see Team World <laughs> finally yeah. win one. Yeah. Um, but I agree with you. It was, it was certainly overshadowed by Roger mm-hmm. d- deciding to retire. It, it, it seemed a little abrupt. It almost seemed like... And Roger's such a class act. It almost it seemed like he gave Serena some space. Yeah, his and retirement. He he didn't he yeah. didn't do it. Yeah. You know, close to her gave gave that that a little bit of room to breathe. We lose Serena now. We lose Roger. This was Roger's moment. Uh, as far as retirements go, I, I still think Pete and Ash Barty maybe did it the best. Win a slam and then yeah. say, "Hey, I'm out of here." Mm-hmm. But um. This was this was emotional for a lot of people, emotional certainly for everybody involved there and, and for all the fans of Roger, which there are so many, myself included. It, it was gr- wonderful.
1: I think he, that's a great point. I think he didn't want to overshadow Serena. He also didn't want to overshadow the U.S. Open by making an announcement mm-hmm. while the tournament was going on. I was impressed with how, you know, it was great to just see that the level was still good. I know it was a doubles match, and and he said he's not at the level where he needed to, be to, to contend for majors. But I guess selfishly, we were just glad that he could play out there and play at a high level and show off the hands and play with Rafa. And, you know, it wasn't about the outcome of the match, although he's a very competitive guy. What I, what I love the most about this weekend uh, among other things, jam Michael is the fact that, you know, he stayed involved after the match was over Friday night. He is just a consummate professional. And in that ceremony, he wanted the team to be included as much as possible. So I think he, I mean, he's, he's leaving a void that. I don't think everyone will be directly replaced, but I just keep going back to leaving the game in good hands and how there's so many young, exciting, fun players coming up that were directly inspired by him. I think that might be his lasting legacy, along with all the championships and everything that he's done.
2: Yeah, I think exactly. I think you can take it just from our brand new world number one and Carlos Alcaraz, who will often say that a lot of his game is patterned after Roger Federer. As a Spaniard. Yeah. And, and you know, when you have a Rafa Nadal. So, you know, yeah. he competes like Rafa, but hits his forehand more like Roger does. And, and yeah. there's some inspiration there. So, you know, he, Roger transcends our sport. He is a fantastic athlete. He's a showman. He's a champion for so many good things off the court. Um, an ambassador uh, like we've never really seen in our sport. And I think somebody who's going to stick around and remain very much a part of tennis. So we certainly won't have seen our last of, of Roger. Yeah. Um, but he did it his way, and that it was it was just a great great send off.
1: The speech was great. Obviously, the emotional stuff when he recognized his family. I, I love the part where he said, "You know, it wasn't supposed to be this way. Like I started playing tennis just because I had fun. So I think there might be a lesson in there somewhere that you don't have to. You can ramp up to focusing. It, it started with a place of joy, like he just loved the game, and it blossomed from there. So
2: well, I think you can see that in yeah. the end, and, mm-hmm. and and he chose a team event to do it mm-hmm. w- along along his guys that he competed with so well on his own team. It's just kind of amazing that you could could finally finish it that way. It was, and, I mean,
1: Rafa was so emotional. I think part of it is, you know, part of it is obviously the friendship they developed competing with him, and and I think another side might be just seeing, you know, the end is in sight for all these guys. They're not any time soon, hopefully, but I think everybody, especially the big four there, kind of knows their own mortality when they see a guy like Roger who we just, you know, associated with the game for so long, and if he retires, I mean, unfortunately it will not be much longer for everybody to play that's at that you know level and age
2: well certainly i mean you think about all the times that they've competed against each other so much time on court so mm-hmm. many events that they've done together you know for the for the good of the sport and uh, rafa certainly has plenty more in him he's played some excellent tennis this year a couple <laughs> yeah. of slams and really only w- lost that one grand slam match he had to default at wimbledon so uh, rafa pl- plenty of tennis a- ahead of him but uh, i think it was just a very emotional weekend for yeah. everyone and uh, he did it the right way.
1: Great gesture by Rafa to be at the event, given, you know, that his wife's pregnant, the injury issues. We know it was great to see Novak Djokovic and Roger who haven't had the, the best of a friends relationship that they were able to, you know, come together. Murray obviously belonged. And I think for the young guys too, on both team world and team Europe to see
2: this and be a part of this moment is going to be good for them as well. Absolutely. And I, I love, you know, had that emotional moment, moment, which we've seen replayed so many times on media <laughs> and, uh, you know, see, um, you know, Roger sort of breaking down and then Rafa and then, uh, you know, Andy sees that and takes a step back, uh, so much respect mm-hmm. that he has for everyone. And yeah. I, I really respect what he did in that moment. He, cause he understood that, you know, what was taking place between the two of them. Um, you just, those pictures are really strong.
1: They really are. Uh, and you mentioned his post career that's going to involve tennis I know the the world is his oyster. Like that's, it's, he can literally do whatever he wants, but what would you like to see him do if there's, I guess one that stands alone, what do you think a good tennis involved role for Roger is post-playing career?
2: Well, I think that Roger's going to be heavily involved in charity and that's mm-hmm. those I think he's involved in several charities. I think that for Roger to to continue to get people involved in our great sport. And yeah. uh, he does a lot of traveling around getting, you know, kids uh, that mm-hmm. maybe not have uh, opportunities to play tennis. That exact thing, opportunities to to get a a racket in their hand, a tennis ball and Um, obviously he can still play exhibitions, bring our sport to places that may not see it. These great champions, the big three, the big four, um, add in some of the the current young crop of amazing Mm -hmm. players and great personalities. And you, you have, you know, fodder for some wonderful uh, exchanges and opportunities to, to, to really show the world how, how great tennis is.
1: Yeah. I, I can't think of a better ambassador for any, for any sport. I get just off the top of my head for being a sportsman uh, there's nobody better. So again props to Roger Federer. It was an unbelievable career. We were all lucky to to have seen it uh, beyond this earth at the time that he was playing tennis. <laughs> the odds weren't weren't in our favor there. Uh, team world gets their first labor cup though and they did it. You know, they did it on the backs of Francis Tiafo and Felix Felix Al Rasim. I mean, it was, you know, the Sunday performances by those guys. Felix beating Novak Djokovic in singles, uh, and then to kind of follow that up with the Francis win, it was a big moment. It was one that I think you'd like to see Jan Michael that they it propels them in the big matches against these top guys in Grand Slam tournaments.
2: Absolutely. Well, he's going to give these guys, uh, these young guys. You know, it starts with with Francis making the semifinals at the U.S. Open, and uh, that's going to that's he's gonna confident. Now. Down, he's he, very absolutely. confident. He's confident, and that's going to trickle down for the other Americans. Say, well, mm-hmm. hey, I I've you know, had good wins myself, I, I think I can compete at that same level, and I think we're going to see the the young Americans being inspired by what Tiafo's doing, what Bigfo Foe and, and his his great tennis, great attitude that he's had is now really shining through. Everybody loves the guy, and so a lot of people behind him. This is another great event for him, the Lever Cup, and uh, for Felix Sim, who can be sometimes a little inconsistent in his matches, he certainly wasn't there. He rises to the occasions, these big, these big matches against guys that – are supposed to on paper beat him and, yeah. and comes up with the goods. Labor Cup is special because you have that opportunity to come back on the last day.
1: Mm-hmm. I feel like both of these players their their limitations, if you even want to call it that, are kind of different. I feel like for Francis, it's been just playing a full match. There's been little dips before you know the U.S. Open run where you know he's been right with these guys and just had like a five ten minute wall stretch where it just hasn't happened for Felix. I get the sense that sometimes if, if it's possible, he's a little too bottled up, like him showing some emotion and some fire out there can actually be a great thing. And I think he started to do that. And, you know, I hope it snowballs. Like we said, it can go negative one way for players that struggle. But for wins and, you, you know, you get on a roll, I think this could be good, too, because Felix has has always been there. And, and I think he's got the game that could win majors and win a couple of them.
2: Yeah, I think he does have that game. It gets inconsistent at times, especially in the forehand. Sometimes it leaves him, and, and mm-hmm. you know he gets a little stiff. And so that's that's actually maybe some great insight there, Mitch, on him showing some emotion. That team format worked yeah. for him. Uh, he was excited out there. He takes it so seriously and so professionally. Maybe just letting a little bit of that out of the bottle could mm-hmm. be a good thing. And for for Francis, for me, it's 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 always been that forehand. People know the forehand breaks down under sustained mm-hmm. pressure. It, he clips at the tape and on a, gets it a little bit mm-hmm. of a flat delivery. I think he's done some very good work on it, and as well, he's also serving better than I've ever seen him serve. At the U.S. Open, he served huge to get himself in those positions, and that's continued forward.
1: Yeah, there's no shame in that match against Alcaraz. Like that was. Unbelievable fight. His level was there. I mean, there's been dips at other times, but that was just the guy. He ran into a buzzsaw, a guy that never gets tired. I mean, he was, you know? he
2: was he was dead even with the new number one in the world. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, you know, and, and could have just as easily won that match and, and very well could the next time they play.
1: I think there's a message in there for both of these players as well that have pretty stable camps they've worked with the same coaches, the same routine and I think that's good. How about I, that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't I, you know, not to name names, but you kind of know players that are on both tours that are kind of running through coaches and changing things up too much that might not be a good thing.
2: Yeah, I mean Francis and Wayne Fiera has a fantastic coach, believes in him, chose the right guy and and they've done a lot of good hard work and and Wayne's got him focused and it's the right person in place for him and now, sometimes it's a little bit tricky. Some, some players may not gel that well with a coach and might need to make some adjustments, but you got to stick with the coach for a while. You can't do it every other month trying to change it up like that. It doesn't work.
1: More with Jan Michael Gamble here on Tennis Channel Inside In. Well, again, congrats to Team World. They they win the Labor Cup. And we mentioned Tiafo and, and Fritz, some of these Americans. Uh, in San Diego, Brandon Nakashima won his first title, a 250 in his home state, which I want to start out by saying, you know, props to him. This is a kid that's been coming up. And,
2: you know, to pick your to pick your spot to where you win your first title, it doesn't get much better than doing it where you grew up. Absolutely. <laughs> Nakashima, you know, he's he's continued to put the good results together. He's been in a couple finals before that. It's nice to see two Americans in that final. I think that Marcos is playing some fantastic tennis as well. Mm-hmm. He's raised his level, continued to raise his level over the years. Very hard worker. Uh, Nakashima, we're going to see him doing a lot of good work on tour. He's got a very complete game. Seems confident. Mm-hmm. In fact, I even saw him smile <laughs> after he won <laughs> yeah. the title. Yeah. You don't get a lot of emotion out of Nakashima, but no. he was excited about it. And that was, I think, also a good thing to, for people and his fans to see.
1: I don't think there was anything that frustrated Kyrios more at Wimbledon that match against Nakashima, not getting anything out of him.
2: <laughs> You're never going to get anything <laughs> yeah. out of him, whether he's ahead or behind in a match. It's a, uh, you know, it's sort of an advantage for Brandon that just his yeah. personality works out that way.
1: So I think by my count, it's eight Americans now in the top fifty, with Marcos at fifty-three. Mm-hmm. So this is. Like, and Opelka put it perfectly a while back, like the world beaters might not be there, but the depth has never, hasn't been stronger in a long time. And I do think that, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats, and these guys are going to be pushing each other. It's good to see Tommy Paul step up, Francis, Nakashima, Garone. I mean, with the, the old guard Isner still working forward, I mean, there is a lot of depth to the American men's game now.
2: There is, and, uh, you know. How about Cressy the guy that yeah. actually he, he's out there to beat anybody he has this idea that he can take his serve Bali game and, and take it through and win these events beat pretty much any in the world anybody in the world that's what he thinks had a good win against Sebi Corda today pretty straightforward win there mm. so you, you really have these this new crop that believe they can win be, aren't afraid of playing the top top players yeah and again I go back to Tiafo making it to a semifinal in a grand slam that is a huge result that is going to give these other guys some some really good confidence as well Corda and Brooksby, two other guys coming
1: up. I love that everybody has different styles too. It's not just like a factory of everybody plays the same way. (laughs) Cressy, Brooksby, you know. I think the two that I just mentioned, Corda and Brooksby, I think they're going to need some time on tour. I think it's like Francis. It took him years of being a pro and dealing with different pro game styles and losing and and having to kind of build up. Because I really do like what both of those guys offer, but I think they need – you know they need a couple of years of being a pro. They're still relatively young, so I think it'll happen for them, but just in a few.
2: I think both those guys still obviously yeah. developing too. Young guys still developing. You know, physically, they're they're they both have a lot of good weapons. Uh, they have both been out there long enough now mm-hmm. that some of the players have figured out their games, and so are coming up with yeah. some solutions to how to beat them in some of these matches. Well, that goes means you go back to the drawing board, start to work on some things yourself, work hard in the off season, uh, you know, and hope to start out next year well. But I agree that they both have very very high levels that I think they can achieve.
1: It's a fun time to be an American tennis fan on the men's side, especially Uh, we mentioned the ATP rankings and some stuff shifting. Uh, One of the players I just want to get your thoughts on Stan notched that big win over Medvedev, but another loss for Medvedev, another, you know, disappointing outcome in a tournament, obviously not nearly the level of the U S open where he lost to Kyrgios, but, do you think that there's any any areas of concern for Medvedev? I know he hasn't been able to play the full way through, but he's had some losses. He's lost the number one ranking. And for a guy that built up his re- resume and his reputation on consistency, it just hasn't been there. Are you concerned at all with his game?
2: Well, he had such a good year last year and played so well. Was, was the best player, certainly, on the hard courts in the world by far. And, you know, now... You know, it's it, it's hard to repeat those mm-hmm. years. I'm not really that concerned. I think that Medvedev's got a great game. He competes so hard in his matches. Got the big serve, good ground strokes, defends well, does all those things. He's got a pretty good head on his shoulders. Maybe he just needs to take a little time yeah. off at the end of the year, have a good, you know, off season, and, and come back stronger. I, I, I believe he's still going to win more slams. He's a threat pretty much every time mm-hmm. on the court. Even played better on the clay this year. So yeah. there are actually some positives you can take away from the year. He held that number one ranking for quite some time. So yeah. you, you have to think that that's, that's impressive stuff. There are some people trying to track him down. There's some people coming for him.
1: Mm-hmm. Carlos Make, is one of them. Makes you really appreciate the big three, big four. If you yeah. to just keep stacking those years. And yeah, if he has a curious problem, so does a lot of people. So do a lot <laughs> I of people. Mean, on is, he's tough you, to be, you know,
2: the guy's focused now. He's, he's out there to actually win these matches and, and, and seems to, seems to care, which is a little bit of a bluff is I, I think he's always cared. Uh, Nick, mm. I, I've always really admired him off-court. He's such a wonderful person uh, on the court, has had some demons, but he seems to have those demons mostly in check. Yeah, One of my favorite players to watch, and I think he's great for our game. So it's nice to see Kyrgios playing so high-level as well. It really is. Uh, Medvedev was
1: in the Mose, tur- Mose tournament, but he lost uh, to Stan. It was won by Senego who... Be Bublik in the final. Quick note on Tsunago: that's now a title, a tournament on every surface. So he completed that hat trick. Uh, but the point that people were m- watching was Bublik kind of turning it into an exhibition by going racket upside down. And I don't, I don't dislike Bublik. It's fun. It's exciting. Uh, I'll just put it this way: I don't think even Kyrgios would have done that at his lowest, not caring moment, whatever that is. I just think you have to have a level of professionalism in a tournament final.
2: Yeah, you just <laughs> well, it's. I have a hard time. I have some hard time with Bublik and on the court sometimes, but he is so talented. Yeah. I thought he played well in Davis cup. He's got a gigantic serve likes indoor tennis. I think it suits him quite well. The indoor courts, yeah. uh, he's got the big ground strokes when he's on, he can play so well. He has these kind of sets where he's completely off though. And he's sort of just loses his mind a little bit and, and does, he, he makes it into a little bit of an exhibition. Let's be honest. He, he cares about having fun on the court and that's Bublik mm-hmm. having fun on the court. He's, has some antics tries some tricks it, the thing I get is what you're
1: saying about the bluff thing though with Kyrios. like i don't think these guys don't care i think they kind of hide behind it when things aren't going bad it's like well then i just don't care you yeah know? it's
2: like it's like after the match is over okay what do you what what, what happens there for, mm-hmm. for tell you for me you know i wore my heart on my sleeve on my matches and after i would lose a match and i ever tried something crazy like that but I, <laughs> yeah. you am know, turning my racket around hit with the grip but i I would go stare at the wall the rest of the day. Yeah. That's how much it mattered to me. Now if they can kind of shrug it off a little bit, it's a little bit of a bluff, but you know, for Bublik again, he he's just trying to have a good time playing the sport that I think he likes. He seems to like it from more mm-hmm. some days than others. People are going to frown upon things when yeah. he does it like that. Some people are going to think it's funny. It makes people talk about our sport. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess
1: even more than this one, I didn't really... I was not a fan of at the Hall of Fame tournament in Newport when Cressy beat him and the post-game comments were like, you're like lucky Yeah, and I all didn't that like stuff. that either. You know, and that's, I mean, especially because Cressy's winning his
2: first tournament. Like I mean, I'll be honest, that bothered me way yeah. more than, yeah. than turning I'm the racket around and hitting with the grip. That yeah. That's that's silly and, mm-hmm. and it's kind of funny and it and it's going to get some replays on, mm-hmm. on media. Uh, it, it's It wasn't a good plan for him if he wanted to try to win that set. Obviously uh, the comments that he made about Cressy were ridiculous because it's hard to play in those on grass <laughs> yeah. courts anyway. Yeah. I mean, you're going to get the bad bounces. You're going to get the weird things that happen on, on grass. That's just part of it. Uh, you know, too bad. Happy yeah. for Chrissy winning that tournament.
1: Yeah. It was big for him. Uh, some of the women's you know news and notes. I just want to mention before we wrap up here uh, in the Japan open, uh, we didn't see much of Naomi Osaka. Unfortunately she had the illness and wasn't there, but the final was Sam uh, Samsonova over Quinwun Zhang. And those are two players that I think we're gonna be seeing a lot of in the future. I mean Samsonova's month of August was just insane. And uh, for for Q as I call her, I think that's top five potential. I think I, I said top ten, but I'm raising the bar. I think wow. These are
2: two, you know, two players that I think are gonna carry the torch here going forward. Yeah, two big hitters as well. I mean, Samsonova every single ball that comes off that racket is just giant. She's got a good serve. She returns big. Really enjoy watching her play tennis. One of the biggest hitters in the sport. So I, I agree with you. I think that she's going to have a huge future. Could certainly win a slam. I thought she was a threat at the U.S. Open. Yeah,
1: and Iowa beat her, and that was one of the more remarkable things, following up Serena and then beating Very impressive.
2: Everybody. The defense that, it, that uh, Tom Janovich was able to play there to get through that match was Yeah, the first set tiebreaker
1: was like an insanely high score. I think what Sam Samova does and, and that separates her is the second serve is very good. And if you have a good second serve in women's tennis, I think that gives you a huge advantage. Uh, she is a big hitter, and I think that that's – you know, I think that the rankings, and this could be the post-Serena you know, environment that we're in, but I think there's going to be a lot of movement. I think there's going to be a lot of players that you know shoot up and then maybe fall back as they have to defend a lot of their
2: points. Yeah, I think, uh, she, well, Shontek seems like she's got herself in a very good position there. Just so mentally solid, <laughs> like it's locked so in. She's so solid, now has found a way to play well on the hard courts as well, and so I think that she's going to have a lock for a little while, at least mm-hmm. on that top ranking, but uh, b- besides that... There's going to be some movers and shakers. Love seeing how well Coco Goff has been playing. Love seeing how well uh, Jess Pagula has been playing. A couple of yeah. Americans moving into the top 10. That is just fantastic to see as well. Coco Goff kind of knocking at the door, knocking at the door, made the French final. When's she going to win a slam? I think it's going to be
1: pretty soon as well. Pagula kept losing. It was another tournament she lost to the eventual champ. Like it just keeps happening that way with right. how the draw has been shaking out. Um, no, it's, it's going to be fascinating to see. Uh, And then San Diego coming up for the women. It's sixteen out of the twenty top twenty. Yeah, I saw that (laughs) line. Okay, yeah, this is going to be fun.
2: I think the fans are going to really enjoy uh, that week.
1: Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to bluenile.com. That's bluenile.com. A few more things with uh, Jam Michael Gamble before we wrap up here on Tennis Channel Insight and uh, I did want your quick thoughts. I know it's kind of like a not recent controversy, but the Canada Davis Cup thing, it just is your mm. your perspective having played for the US and you know, knowing how important this tournament is, although it is a different format, but Canada gets to the final. They were given a wild card. They were able to come through and win their group that included Spain. But they will be into the Davis Cup final. And I know a lot of players, a lot of coaches, American captain Marty Fish were not a fan of the fact that they'd already been eliminated and they got the wild card because Russia and Belarus were kicked out. It's a, a difficult situation. But how do you land on it?
2: I think it's tough. First of all, I'm having a hard time wrapping myself, my, wrapping my brain around the new format of Davis Cup. Uh, the way that it's being played, uh, the two out of three. I Mm -hmm. I called a lot of those matches uh, for T2 just a couple weeks ago and so saw a lot of it and started to actually really enjoy the fact that you can see so many good players on a given day. Starting to come around to this new format, I still have a hard time calling it Davis Cup because (laughs) Davis Cup has been three out of five. It's been country versus country. You know, you know, traveling to these so tough home places ties. to play like the that's, home ties versus it. the away ties. Yeah. I remember playing some Davis cup ties where it was just so hostile of an environment, um, that it, you, you just, it's, you have a hard time recreating that. And w- I'm not seeing that now. Yeah. You, I did like the fact that, and I hope it's, it's going to be a rotating thing where these countries that are hosting, they do have a little bit of an advantage. More fans are showing up for the, for the home team, the yeah. host teams, right. um, I like this whole round robin format, so so I will say that's a positive. Yeah, I don't know if I like that it's two out of three. I'm I'm still sort of on the fence. So on the fence there. So I didn't yeah. haven't answered your question yet. Now <laughs> with the Canada uh, situation. Yeah, I I can't quite understand wh- wh- how they even chose that. Like, well, I don't know why they got the
1: wild card. Like, yeah, that's the Canada. part that it was them. And I mean, maybe because they have. I mean, it, I'm just saying – they have a top guy. Yeah, they, they have great Felix. players. Like it's that is that great, that
2: great players. I mean, you know, I mean, it, you know, the, on paper, it's a it's a it's a good idea. Chapo didn't even play. Uh, Pastis uh, played well. I thought. I mean, I liked a lot of the matches that they played. I, I have a hard time with them now in in the knockout stage. You, we mm-hmm. called out the, it was the world group finals, and now we actually have the <laughs> Davis Cup finals. It's, yeah. it's, it's kind of a lot for you to kind of assimilate right. uh, when you think about it. But um, do they belong to be there? Well, since they were given the opportunity, they belong to be there, yes, but they already lost, so probably not.
1: Yeah, and it's not a lucky loser situation in the sense that those are players in tournaments that lose in qualifying and then get the main draw option. They were already knocked out of essentially the main draw. So right, you never that just That's doesn't happen. Yeah. That
2: doesn't happen. The only the furthest you can really get is if somehow you take over the buy situation of a tournament to, you know where there's a buy and the draw and you can sort of get yeah. kind of far and a, and, and to, and 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 draw to be a clear, loser. But this is not that situation. Yeah,
1: if it was the old format and something like this happened again, it would just be a walkover. Normal. Yeah, it'd be a walkover. So. Yeah, it would
2: just been, simply be a walkover. So they. They should have done. Uh, they probably should have just put a walkover in there.
1: Yeah, and this and is this that, is tennis federations that are upset because this means a lot to you know each country. It, does mean, team. it yeah. does
2: mean a lot. It does mean a lot. And you know, in the end, you you, you mm-hmm. probably look at it from the sponsors, from these these venues that are that are trying to sell seats, yeah. and and they're saying, hey, we want some, we want players on court. We don't want to have, you know no match on that, yeah. on that day, or, you know, right. so we're going to lose revenue there. So there's, there's a lot of different kind of hands, you know, in, in the bucket and, and, and a lot of different thought process. So of course, yeah, Marty Fish is, is not going to be happy with, with, with that. Of course, he will be happy with the Americans making it through. So, you know, congrats yeah. to them. So we have a chance to do that. I think that's going to be the focus for, you know, going forward and, and you can't really worry about Canada now. The, no. the worry is can, can, usa g- go get the job done and i think we got a good shot
1: very much so with that depth we mentioned uh it's gonna be exciting to see uh you know a lot of tennis still to play this year uh tennis and we're doing pickleball now i saw the story we are
2: doing pickleball i'm calling some pickleball calling next some month
1: pickleball. and i saw the story that now we're getting teams in cities like lebron james is an investor we're gonna yes. keep it going
2: james blake already is a, yeah. a team owner
1: yeah i think uh no i mean that that sport's growing leaps and bounds, especially here on the West coast. It's just, it's getting hard to play or find a place to play.
2: Yeah. Pickleball is always, you know, for me, I grew up in Washington state, so I played pickleball my whole, my whole life. For me to see it take off like this is it's, it's kind of exciting. It's, it's a bit strange watching how the game now is played. Uh, uh, The singles is a little bit more like I'm sort of used to. And and when I say grew up with it, we had a pickleball court in our backyard Mm. when I was about, I think 11 years old we put in our backyard, didn't have the room for a tennis court made room for a pickleball court. So that was like our neighborhood thing. All my friends oh. were athletes. None of us played. <laughs> I didn't want to play tennis with them. So we played pickleball. Oh. We had neighborhood rankings and, and it was wow. just a lot of fun. We had pickleball parties. <laughs> wow. Um, so it's, it's easy for me to see why people sort of gravitate towards it because it's just so much fun to play with, with just anybody. You can pick up a racket and have a good time and, and, you know, bring some food and some drinks and just enjoy yourself where tennis is, is let's be honest. It's pretty serious.
1: Yeah, I think there was some appeal. Uh, there is still appeal to tennis, to the casual player out there, Absolutely. person out there. Pickleball Absolutely, does but that it's, as well. it's a
2: little bit harder yeah. uh, to pick up tennis, uh, you know, and to be good at it. It just takes a little bit more work. Yeah. Now, I think I think that the two sports can go hand in hand. I mm. think that if you start with the pickleball, I think you can gravitate towards the tennis. And I think that the pickleball, the tennis players can, can easily pick up a pickleball racket and, and yeah. play, you know, competitively and in, in for me, it's it's not one against the other. I think it's totally hand-in-hand. Hand. Now, some people don't like the sound of the pickleball racket, <laughs> ball coming I'm off right. the racket. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. you know, it's a bit loud, but it's it's a lot of fun to play, and, and it's going to be really interesting calling some of those those tournaments and Turn- looking forward to it.
1: Those tournaments and events look like a pretty good atmosphere, yeah, too, like a pretty good fun. time. Uh, now, this has been a blast. Jam Michael Gamble, very last thing. We try to end with, like, a funny note, uh, an interesting note. want to know if this ever happened to you. Sloan Stevens for all in her third set in her match against Fretch in the first round, uh, stung by a bee. Fought through it, and won the match, but said she was legit stung while playing. Did that ever happen to you? And were you able to battle through it?
2: I think I have been stung by a bee before. <laughs> I think the weirdest thing that ever happened before was these these bugs descending on the court. <laughs> they see the tournament in Parma. There is like a ton yeah. of bugs yeah. in the night matches that are that are there, um, and they're all <laughs> in the air. And so there is like th- these weird things to deal with. I was playing a tournament, I think in Ecuador. Uh, when I was trying to come back after being injured, and these 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 huge bugs <laughs> descended on the court to the point where there were so many that we had to stop the match, and they had to sweep these 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 bugs, these beetles, whatever they were, maybe I don't know what they were, but off the court we had to take our time uh, and and let them clean the court of these creatures before we were able to commence the the rest of the match.
1: Did you have to request that we got to
2: stop, or was everybody
1: just like, play. no, we have to? Yeah. You couldn't play. The balls were oh. hitting
2: the the these huge. <laughs> things and, oh, wow. and so it was, a, it was a whole issue but uh you never know what you're going to get out Ten, there tennis
1: players are tougher you they know, than they tough. look you got to battle the elements uh <laughs> <laughs> jan michael gamble thanks for coming on tennis channel inside in thanks bitch always a blast talking to jan michael gamble jmg on the tennis channel inside in podcast make sure you're safe out there from those insects and bugs uh, but in all seriousness it's uh, always a pleasure talking tennis with him and uh, we'll have to have him back sometime soon Now we're going to switch it up, talk to Jordan Sanford. She was a tennis.com writer and editor for the Baseline Series, had a Hall of Fame college career at Baylor, uh, transitioned into media, is doing some fun stuff now for Variety, working with the USTA, going on a bunch of different shoots, and and working as a technical director for the CW Network for the All-American Homecoming Series. She's the tennis expert there for how they film and shoot scenes. So a lot to talk about with my friend Jordan Sanford, and uh, it's an all-encompassing chat that will give you some advice for how you would want to break into the media industry. A lot of good stuff for former athletes out there. It's Jordan Sanford now on Tennis Channel Inside In. All right, now joining us on Tennis Channel Inside In, a real pleasure is the former Tennis Channel colleague of mine, some somber tone in that word <clears throat> for, former. Uh, she was an editor at Tennis Channel's baseline site, uh, wrote articles, interviewed. She blended action on the court with style and fashion. Had a Hall of Fame career at Baylor, playing on the women's tennis team. That's a literal term. She is in the Hall of Fame. Now we're doing a couple different projects I want to get into. But Jordan Sanford, thank you for joining Tennis Channel Inside In.
3: Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy I finally could be on here talking with you. I'm super excited, so
1: yeah. thank you. It took, unfortunately, it took you no longer working here, uh, which is more <laughs> my fault than yours. But uh, no, no, Jordan, this is hey, great.
3: better uh, late cool. than never, right?
1: Absolutely, better late <laughs> than never. Uh, but I wanted to kind of get into your story and, and just how you got to what, all the cool stuff that you're working on. Uh, California yeah. girl, by the way. So Diamond Bar—that's where your journey started. And yes, was it always an infatuation with tennis? I mean. We're going to get to the journalism and the career yeah. stuff, but were you just a fan? Were you hooked immediately when you first picked up a racket?
3: So I will tell you, my, my dad was watching the U.S. Open, and I believe it was in 97, and he was watching the finals that year, and I think it was Venus who was playing in it that year. But anyway, I come into the room and immediately just captivated by everything that's going on on the screen. And I sit next to him. I'm five years old, too. So I sit next to him. I watch the entire final. And when it ends, I get up and I'm just like, I can do this. I want to do it. I want to play tennis. Let's go. And my dad's like, "Okay, okay." And meanwhile, my dad doesn't know anything about tennis, never picked up a racket or anything. So he essentially just grabbed some books, taught himself, took me out there and here we are
1: today. <laughs> so, so you had no history of tennis in your family before? You no history at all. One. No. Wow. No. It's, it's, it's a common story, but also one that I think starts out in that way. But few progress to the level you got. Was there a point, I guess, in your childhood where you thought, mm-hmm. okay, I have to be committed to this? Or like, I guess a better way to ask that would be, when did it ramp up to where this is a commitment? And if I'm going to chase this, I have to take this seriously.
3: Yeah. Um, I feel like I don't remember the exact moment, but when I picked up a racket at five years old, it was almost serious from the beginning. So even though, you know, I'm, I'm this tiny little thing out there, I was taking it so seriously from the start, but I I would say probably when I was eight years old when I got my first coach outside of my dad, that's when we were like, okay, the, the mission, the goal is to play pro tennis.
1: When did college become a factor? When did you think, okay, this is what I want to do. I know you did a stint at Maryland before you ended up at Baylor. How did, how yeah. did college kind of become the focal point? And what did you do to get to that point where you could achieve that dream of playing in college?
3: Yeah, I think it's, it was a really hard decision for me to make to either playing pro tennis, going the college route. And so I was, I was playing some professional tournaments leading up to that. And I had essentially every school, that I wanted kind of reaching out to me and I would start going on official visits. And that's when I kind of knew, I was like, I also want to have my education too. And, you know, maybe try pro tennis afterwards, but um, that's kind of when it became more sober reality. And I accepted that, you know, the college route was the way to go for me.
1: Well, you were kind of ahead of the curve in a lot of ways. And it was, you know your your age demographic is when the college tennis boom i think really has taken off and now you see so many college players that have made the pro game what was yeah was the level of college being kind of as high as it was Did that surprised you were you shocked that there were as many good players playing in college because it wasn't always that way
3: yeah i think growing up in southern california and playing tennis here the level has always been high So that's kind of what I'm used to. And then when you're playing higher on your team, one, two, three, you're always getting those top players. So I was kind of used to that level and having to compete like that. And I'm sure they were too. But yeah, it was just a part of the game then. I didn't really think about it too much. It was just more so the task at hand every match and how I was going to win.
1: Who were some of the better players, like the best player you think you ever played against? at any age level
3: in general i would say i would say i played sloan i played Mm -hmm. madison keys and i played jen brady actually my last college match at ncaa's
1: i'm familiar with those names. yeah i think most of our listeners are too well that's that's an extremely high level and you know i mentioned all the success at baylor what was the best part of being on a team like tennis being such an individual sport we we saw this at the labor cup i think individual athletes like tennis players, they kind of still yearn for that missing component of being on a team. So what was the best part of having a squad that you were part of at Baylor?
3: Yeah, I think there's obviously some positives and negatives to it. But for me, I definitely long to to be on a team and have that sort of aspect to it. Um, But it's hard also because it is an individual sport. So at the same time, in a way, during practices and things, you're competing against each other to... You know who who's going to play one or two in the lineup that week so they're your teammates but at the same time there is that that sort of aspect going on but for me it was just always fun having that support system and that big of a support system beyond the team at baylor so that was great
1: did you have specific like preparation like a couple days out the day of the match were you superstitious what kind of walk me through your process of getting ready (laughs) to compete
3: uh, I wasn't too superstitious, but I would find myself out on the practice court for way longer than I would need sometimes. And, you know, my coach and sometimes my teammates would be like, okay, Jordan, let's, that's good. It's good. And I would one more, one more, <laughs> no matter what it is. But uh, yeah, it was just more so being on the court for a little bit too long gearing up for, for those harder matches for sure.
1: Now, as we kind of transitioned into what you're doing now when did you get attracted to journalism? When did you think, okay, maybe I'm not going to be a pro tennis player, but at least on the educational side, that journalism was something that you could take to and kind of develop your career.
3: Yeah. So, I mean, I'll go back to 2014 when I ended my college career. I honestly, I never thought I was going to do anything related to tennis again. And I'm so happy that, you know, my journey has kind of taken me onto this path now, but It it started when I got my first job at a printing company, so very random, but I was doing their social media, and the CMO at the time noticed that I was a really good writer, and, you know, I graduated with a journalism degree, but I never really thought of it in that way ever, but it wasn't until at that position where I was writing all the landing pages, the blogs, press releases, I was like, I think I kind of want to do this, maybe not in this capacity, but I want to be a storyteller in whatever medium that looks like in front of the camera, behind it with a pen, whatever that entails. And so I just feel like everything kind of came together for me, at least when I got the job at tennis channel, combining my, my passion, my love for storytelling with tennis, the sport I love. And I grew up playing since I was five years old. So
1: when did you get on Tennis Channel's radar? I think it was 2019, I want to say, when I first heard that you were brought into the to the family. Yeah. But when was it that you kind of, someone reached out to you? Did you apply there? How did that process work where you landed at the company?
3: So back in 2019, I was at Allegiant. So at the airline, working as a technical writer in office. And the reason why I accepted that job in the first place is because I didn't want to just be a good writer but I also wanted to know how to edit. I think that's very Mm -hmm. important to have that skill. And I felt like I did everything there, fulfilled it, fulfilled that goal of becoming a better editor. And I really wanted to dive into a creative field and explore that storytelling, that journalistic touch to writing. And Tennis Channel came across on my search on, I believe it was LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, that would be perfect. It was for an editor position. Obviously, I have the knowledge of the sport, but I didn't have that editorial background. And uh, Ed and Matt and everyone, they took a chance on me. And I'm so happy they did because now I'm here.
1: (laughs) It's crazy how that works out. Like I love the non-traditional paths. and, And it takes someone kind of taking a chance on you, but also seeing something that you had a tennis background obviously had played it and competed at a high level but also had some skills that it's kind of like it's kind of like clay you had to be molded a little bit but they knew there exactly. Was something
3: better. exactly exactly yeah more with
2: with threats to our nation waiting around every corner adaptability is more important than ever when conditions change without notice quick strategic thinking is crucial and with obstacles consistently impending determination is essential in overcoming them it's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.
1: More with Jordan Sanford here on Tennis Channel Inside In when we get to the career stuff and some of the cool stuff you got to work on. And we'll say you were always kind of a top draft pick in terms of when they needed a stand-in or somebody to actually play tennis <laughs> on these shoots. I keep going back to... Uh, This great feature that they did, this great video that they did back in the desert uh, in Indian Wells when you guys were in the retro tennis outfits and trying to paying homage to the 70s legends with the style and the fits there, but... I had to actually it was play, too so.
3: funny. Honestly, that was the most hilarious experience I've had on a tennis court. So I will say that.
1: There, there's some pressure there, though. Like with that one, I remember recently, one of the last things you did was having to kind of hit in front of a green screen. And I got to think it's a little it's a little pressure filled, like you're not actually playing tennis, but you have to you still have to Absolutely. do some stuff. There.
3: Yeah. I mean, my last one with Nordstrom, I was behind a green screen as well and there's probably at least 30 people right in front of me and they're like here hit this tennis ball as hard as you can without hitting any of the cameras any of the gear or people of course and it's like okay so i have this little target window Mm -hmm. and uh got to Got to make sure I hit my target spot on and I'm not playing tennis anymore every day, but.
1: Yeah, it's, it's take some skill, obviously. Take someone with a background (laughs) there. Uh, When you were writing some of these pieces for tennis.com, the baseline section. Yeah. You had a lot of range in there. There were some serious posts. There were some fun loving, like feel good Friday. Let's take a look at all these tennis courts. Did it take you some time to find your voice? Did you want to have a lot of different range and cover different topics? How did you kind of grow as a journalist on the tennis.com website?
3: I think going into it, I already realized as a tennis player that there was a whole portion of the game that really wasn't being touched on. Uh, When it comes to small businesses, the fashion, the trends, the off court news, I felt like that just wasn't a space that wasn't really being looked at at the time. And that's something that I really wanted to kind of explore a little bit more. And I'm so thankful for for Matt uh, Fitzgerald and Ed McGrogan for letting me kind of take it and just run with it. And that's how I started the whole small business series and featuring different brands and equipment, gear, products that, you know, many people in the tennis world, even recreationally don't even know about. And I feel like sometimes we get stuck with what's happening in the pro world, the circuit, the grand slams, and there's a whole other story being told that wasn't being you know paid attention
1: to there's a lot of untapped potential out there and I think we're starting to tap into it which is great a lot of that is because of this new era of players Uh, what were some of the favorite pieces that you wrote or some of the you know more impactful ones the one that comes to mind for me was the uh, Naomi Osaka mental health piece but if that one or if there's other ones that you kind of take you know more pride than others in
3: Yeah, I really like those pieces too, just kind of, you know, talking about the players off the court and that they're human as well. I think we forget about that sometimes they're not just tennis Mm -hmm. players. So I think it's important to have an outlet that kind of shows that a little bit more, but for me, I guess my favorite piece that comes to mind first was my first one, my first small business piece about the courts, Mm -hmm. this place out in Anza Borrego uh, no one knew about it at the time, and it's just a desert oasis. Yeah. If you're a, a tennis enthusiast, you need to go there. It's it's definitely a special place that kind of combines that social aspect yeah. with tennis, you know. And that's where I think we really, really need and more of.
1: Yeah, it's more accessible than the other pieces you've highlighted, like the Goldstein tennis court. I think you might not be able to get it get a time on there.
3: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this one is for everyone (laughs) no matter where you are in the world it's worth a trip down there
1: that's good uh you've also got to conduct interviews when you were here which you're still doing in your other in your other gigs and your other jobs uh i remember one of the last things was rafa at the tc set in indian wells and i mean meeting him has to be you know a different type of experience but yes yeah what was that like and what was it like kind of getting to interview some of these players you looked up to and and maybe played against when you were in college
3: I mean, it, it was just a dream for me. It was a dream kind of coming full circle and to, you know, kind of have that relatability to these players and create, you know, more so of that welcoming environment, talking to another tennis player. I felt kind of put them at ease a little bit and was able to kind of dig a little deeper into some of those personal topics and things that you saw on baseline. But for me, going back to Indian Wells, this last one with Rafa, I was actually not there as an interviewer. I was a photographer during the, the shoot. So um, it was one of my few times that I actually got to step into a different role outside of editorial. And I had so, so much fun. Everyone was coming through the tent that day. And uh, I'll never forget uh, Rafa though. So sweet. So down to earth. Yeah,
1: <laughs> And you mentioned kind of being inspired by Venus and, you know, obviously Serena, Roger, like we're we're at a point now where we're losing a lot of these legends and people we looked up to. So I know there's a lot of exciting players coming up and there's some new trends to develop, but it's a little bit of a tough time for tennis with some of our idols and our role models stepping away from the game.
3: Oh yeah, it is. I mean, the reason why Federer, Serena, Venus, all these players are who they are is because of, you know, how they interacted off the court and their personalities off the court as well. And I think, I think tennis is in good hands with everyone that's coming up. Tiafoe, Curios, Caspar uh, Rood, all these different players coming up on the court. It's great. But I think where we're going to need some improvement is just the character, mm-hmm. you know, more personality, more energy. I think that's what really carries the game and makes someone, you know, kind of stand out among the rest.
1: Yeah, they held the mantle for so long. We almost took it for granted, the consistency there. And just being great ambassadors of the sport, too, which is something that takes time and that you have to, as a human, kind of grow into.
3: 100%.
1: Are you surprised how, I mean, maybe like trendy is a bad word, but in terms of like showing their style, showing their flair, and also not being afraid to speak up on, on serious issues, are you surprised or, I guess, more impressed that this next generation is more outspoken?
3: I'm definitely not. I'm not shocked at all. I actually wish it would happen a little bit more. I feel yeah. like um, I think that's honestly why you know, Curios and these players are are so appealing to me because you're getting you know a whole new generation that looks up to these players for their energy, for who they are, and for their mannerisms and yeah. things, and they want to kind of embody it. And again, I feel like that just it brings a different kind of feel to the game that I think is just it's missing a little bit more so I'm good with more talking and more you know just expressing themselves beyond the court I think that's what the sport needs
1: yeah it's always been like a hot button issue like tennis is a great game but it maybe needs more personality needs more style the off-court stuff getting into things like fashion and and the arts and where I, I land, agree. Where, I agree. Where I land on it, Jordan is: I, there's so many tennis players. Not everyone like there are reclusive people that I understand. That's that's their mo, and they don't want to yeah, be that outgoing. But it's nice to have sure. a mix of people that are outgoing and are going to kind of take you behind the curtain.
3: Absolutely. I mean, even Naomi with her fashion brands. I mean, she's yeah. everywhere right now. Um, I think she also has the beauty and the the makeup as well. So I love seeing stuff like that. Also Curios, Mm -hmm. even something simple as wearing a Celtics Jersey on the court, you know, now you're bringing like the basketball, you know, people, fans into the game as well. And you're introducing more people that just didn't even care to pay attention to the sport. Now they're all of a sudden at the U S open watching.
1: (laughs) A couple more things here with Jordan Sanford on tennis channel inside in. Um, I just want to talk about kind of what you're going on and what you're doing right now. There's a lot of stuff, but I wanted to talk about the the movie, the All-American Homecoming show, I should say, on the CW network, where you're working as a technical director. A show about a girl, Cliff Notes version, obviously, Los Angeles girl (laughs) goes to, to a historically black college to chase her dream of playing tennis. So as a technical director, are you kind of the expert on, on the set? Like, this is how I, tennis actually works?
3: <laughs> I am. I am. It's an I'm important job. Of, yeah, very important. Very important. I actually started off as one of the characters, the team captain, as her body double for the mm. first season. Mm. So I was doing that. And then they were like, you know, we would love to have you become the technical technical director because she actually gets injured in the oh. second season which might be a slight like giveaway
2: <laughs> okay,
1: <spoiler. laughs> happens
3: early on though. Spoiler. So, yeah. Spoiler alert. <laughs>
1: I'm, I'm very critical though of sports scenes in movies, not being realistic. That's why there's some truth into why I say it is a serious job because I don't, I think some movies and some shows, even some that I enjoy, they don't get it right. And I do think tennis, and, and maybe that's a question for you. Why do you think tennis is so hard to get right in movies and TV shows? Cause it seems like a lot of times it's just not, Accurate at all.
3: I agree with you. I mean, if you look at the game, it's so technical mm-hmm. from the footwork to getting into position. Now you gotta worry about a swing mm-hmm. and how that looks like court positioning. There's so many minor details that add up. And you know, you can really tell if if those actors know how to play yeah. or when, you know, a body double even is being used. So it's just it's a very technical technical game that's hard to get correct yeah fully which i understand
1: it's so fast also it's hard to shoot without cutting a lot and uh you know i think it's great that you're doing that the variety work i've read some of your pieces there. still with the sports you know still in love with sports and and you know writing some stuff about college athletes and kind of just educating them in terms of what to do when you do make that transition to pro money wise what type of pieces and on variety you look into uh release here and and still kind of focus on
3: Well, I'm actually going to be going over. I've been working a lot with the variety content studio, which is a client-based studio rather than the variety house. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually making that kind of switch onto variety house a little bit more. So you'll see probably more of that entertainment, more Mm -hmm. financial entertainment news coming from me in the coming months. Yeah.
1: That's awesome. Uh, Well, with your, you know, background in tennis and journalism, but also interviewing photography as well, as you mentioned. Uh, message, I guess, for, do you have a message for like these young kids, maybe tennis players that are looking to get into the media industry or just students out there that are looking to break in? What would that message be or some advice now that you've got some credit? Yeah,
3: I, I think as a former athlete, just to not be too hard on yourself never be too hard on yourself and know that everyone is on their own journey and their own path. And that looks different. Um, just as long as you're kind of going in that, that direction and you know, where you want to land, I think that's so important, but just know that it takes time and it doesn't happen overnight. Even for me, I, I had, I had to take the steps to get to tennis channel, to get to where I am now. It didn't just Okay. happen after NCAA's, and all of a sudden you yeah. know here i am writing about the sport but it, it takes time and, and don't be hard on yourself don't be too mm-hmm. critical
1: it's definitely a marathon and it's not a sprint and you want to make sure you enjoy those small victories and uh, uh my other thing would just be like like you've done get your reps in you know get your chances exactly. and get your time in and uh, exactly Yeah,
3: yeah. For me, I mean, even going back to it started, of course, with tennis, having that background. And then I had to kind of learn how to write and how to edit what really well and take those steps in order to to get to tennis channel where I was finally able to dive into that editorial. And sometimes I mean, again, it just doesn't happen with a a press of the button, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, but as long as you embrace that journey and embrace the hardships and the challenges that come along the way.
1: Certainly some sage advice there. Uh, before I let you go, I wanted to ask, you're also working with the USTA. What's yes. that like and what kind of stuff are you specifically focusing on working with the standard bearer for tennis in this country?
3: Yeah, it's been it's been really amazing so far. It's been, been probably about a few months now with the USTA Foundation. So I'm more so geared towards the charity work the NJTLs as well, and helping underprivileged children, under-resourced kids, kind of have access to the game. But not only that, but education as well. And telling that side of the story.
1: It's awesome. And there's a direct link to some of the stuff we've seen with some of these American tennis players, men and women that have made it that have had successful runs and are having exactly. successful careers that the US Tiafo, yeah.
3: Tiafo is one of them. So
1: probably doesn't happen without, you know, some, some resources and some people like yourself putting in time at the USTA. Uh, well, Jordan Sanford, this has been great. Uh, last thing, I guess, do you have anything kind of yeah. to look out for that we should be looking out for pieces, some work that you're doing?
3: Um, I think I already previously mentioned this, but I do have some more variety stories coming okay. soon yeah. in the coming months. So be on the lookout for that as well as all American, the the season two actually premieres on October 10th, I believe. So please uh, tune in for that and, Let me know your thoughts. Hopefully the tennis looks great this season. That's
1: what I'm going to be watching. I'll be slow mowing the tennis scenes, but (laughs) that'll be the the
3: focus. (laughs) Please do. Yeah. Feel free to judge me.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. I always am. Uh, Jordan, this has been great. Thanks again for coming on. And you always put up with me kind of over when we were working together. So
3: Uh, (laughs) course,
1: (laughs) had to have have you on, but Jordan Sanford, thanks for joining Tennis Channel Inside In.
3: Thank you.
1: That's it for this week's episode of Tennis Channel Inside In. Thanks to Jan Michael Gamble. Thanks to Jordan Sanford. And thanks to everybody out there for listening as we continue on. We're in the post-major season, but still weekly episodes on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, which can be found at tennis.com slash podcast. We have a ton of great shows, ton of content. We have a lot to listen to, a lot to whet your appetite. And we're going to keep it going on the website. We are on all your podcast platforms, from Spotify to Apple Podcasts to google Podcasts, where everywhere that podcast can be found another show next week we're going to be talking to john lloyd the former british tennis player Slam finalist that's a preview episode for next week he's going to come to the santa monica studios he has a new book out you're not going to want to miss that as well for jan michael gamble and jordan sanford my name is mitch michaels this has been tennis channel inside in thank you for listening and we'll see you next week